0: Well, grateful to be back this week uh, after being gone for a, for a week, and really uh, had a chance to uh, watch the service online. And uh, I'm grateful for Jean uh, and her words uh, during that service, and for Ken and Southminster and the folks from here from Knox who participated in that. Was, it looked like it was a lovely, a lovely service and time to be together as the two congregations. Well, I've mentioned this before. There's a popular uh, uh, gospel presentation uh, format that's called the Romans road to salvation have you heard of this before besides me mentioning it as if some folks might have heard of this uh, the presentation itself draws on selections or verses from the books of Romans and it's designed to get people to move from one place to making a, a decision and so the texts are selected to move a, a person starting with Romans 323 and then they move into the first part of 623 uh, then they go to Romans 58 and they come back to 623 But the last few verses that are included in the Romans Road, at least a lot of versions of that, is found in Romans chapter 10. And so here we are, Romans chapter 10, where the road ends, the Romans Road ends. And in that presentation, the hope is, when these are presented, these Roman Road uh, texts from chapter 10 are presented, that the hearer is is going to have a response, that they're gonna be walked through a place where they can take action on what they've heard. They've heard that all have sinned. They've heard that the wages of sin is death. They've heard of God's love proven and demonstrated on the cross in Jesus Christ. They've heard about the free gift of God. And now there's a chance for them to respond both in their hearts, but also with their voice. And if they do so, there's gonna be confirmation that comes with that, that they're gonna learn that uh, Jesus Christ and that God, the of God has accepted them and has received them into salvation. They can be certain of those things. That's a rather tidy way of summing up the gospel. The Romans Road does that. Curious that there's six more chapters after that of Romans, but it's a tidy way of bringing together the gospel in this point. But I wonder here, if we were to step back for a second and just ask the question, is that what Romans 10 and what Paul is getting at? That he's looking for us merely to have a response, that we're to take action on everything that we've just heard, that that was Paul's intent. At this point, he said, "Time out, pause. We're going to take action at this moment with everything you've heard. Before we go any further, you have to respond." Or perhaps he's trying to say something here to persuade the people not to make a decision, but to persuade them of the truth of something that has been real and is lurking in the foreground, not just in the background, but in the foreground. Of their spiritual lives and he's speaking that truth to a very specific audience so let's dive into Romans 10 and see what Paul might be up to here at the outset of the chapter Paul expresses his desire and a prayer for a particular group he says it this way in verse 1 that they may be saved the they here of course is carried over from chapter 9 at which at this point he's attempted Uh, Or He's talked about those who are attempting to attain righteousness through adherence to the law, i.e. the contrast between works and faith As opposed to those who who are declared righteous through faith So unbelieving Israel is another way to imagine this group But we want to be clear here when we use those type of terms When I say unbelieving Israel, at this point, like Paul, he's not talking about an ethnic group or a tribal identity He's not even talking about national categories, things that we would collapse that down the moment we say Israel, we start collapsing down those different groups. But instead, Paul here has taken aim at a subset of this historic people of God. Because remember, Paul himself would be one who's included in Israel. And many, many of the Christians in the early movement were themselves Israel. And so here he's coming to say, I'm talking to a group that's this subset of the historic people of God who object to this notion of righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus Christ instead they're holding to a dogged adherence to the law so that's who he's who he's aiming at here that's who he's talking to at this moment this is the they that in Paul's heart he wants to see them saved this is the they that he's praying for so this group his own we might say his countrymen his relatives his family his community members he's saying in my heart I desire that they know Jesus Christ. I desire that they might know the salvation that I now enjoy in Christ. There might be a lesson in there for us, but we'll just pause, keep going here. But at that moment, he says, uh, in verse four, he, he lays out the total road in sign. So if you think about a construction zone, and you're driving your car down, there's those big orange signs, and the one that says road ends." here's one of those signs for Paul, and it's in verse four, where he says, for Christ, is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. So to that audience, that saying, dogged adherence to the law is where I'm going to stake my claim. Paul comes to him and says, Jesus Christ is the culmination. Or another way of of looking at the Greek there, Jesus is the end. He's the road ends here at this point. And so those neon construction signs, this is one of those flashing for for the faith as we think about uh, what it means to be a person of God Paul here is saying The lines have been drawn differently at this point To be a person of God Is going to have something to do With Jesus Christ And beginning in verse 5 and going through the chapter, so our reading this morning He starts to make the argument And he does so on their turf Again, remember the they That he's talking to He's going to go right there with their turf He's going to use the words that they've appealed to These dissenters And say Maybe we've gotten the interpretation all wrong. Let me show you another way here. Now, most of us here are familiar with John 3.16. If you're familiar with John 3.16, even if you don't know the verse itself, you can't recite it from memory, but you're familiar with the reference, raise your hand. All right? True, right? Most of us know John 3.16. I just confirmed that. We've seen this uh, used in football games, the dude with the poster board, right, in the end zone. Holds it up, John John 3.16. We've seen different cultural manifestations uh, who uh, played off of John 3.16. If you're a a child of pro wrestling of the 90s, you remember Austin 3.16, uh, for instance. I won't recite Austin 3.16, but it's quite different than John 3.16. But that original is a beloved passage, and it's, it's beloved because it serves as a concise telling of God's love for us and the promise of rescuing Jesus Christ. It's the Christian message in miniature is what it serves as. So it becomes this beloved statement for us. Well, commentator Michael Byrd observes here that for Second Temple Judaism, Leviticus 18 5 would be the John three sixteen for them. Leviticus eighteen five. Could you imagine that a poster board? Yay. Leviticus eighteen five, to throw that. People are like, <laughs> What? <laughs> you go and read that. But it would be a popular in miniature, this declaration of adherence to the law. So Paul here is going to use that intentionally when he leads off in verse 5 of our reading. And he says, Moses writes concerning the righteousness that comes from the law, that the person who does these things will live by them. A.K.A. Leviticus 18.5. He just recited Leviticus 18.5 for them. The very passage said, Yeah, we're on board with that. Not only would Moses say that, we would say that. That's our that's our boy and that's our verse. So there are all kinds of excitement, excited about this this was righteousness through the law in miniature. So if you want to understand what that looks like, what that life looks like, that's the text that would point to it. The reading of the day was that this was not only the way of life that you would just simply live into the law that you lived out those expressions, but it actually was the way to life that somehow adherence to all of this was the pathway to salvation. But God, put, or, but Paul pushes back here on that interpretation. And that notion and he does so by reminding them of another text. He reminds them of some, another text that they'd be very familiar with. and actually he's going to draw multiple texts here. and these draw from an interesting place. He's going to go to the book of Deuteronomy. Now there's a, a popular Bible reading practice uh, in Christian circles and maybe some of you have done this or you are in the pre- you're presently doing this where readers uh, read through the entire Bible. There's whole products that have the Bible, read the Bible through a year and stuff. Has anybody ever done that? You've read through the Bible, here, use an app or a book, there's folks who do that. Oftentimes when, when I hear folks talk about uh, that process, mean, um, there's all kinds of checklists, it's been around for a long time this, as a pursuit and a goal. Oftentimes when I hear people talk about that, they share it as they've reached a certain goal, right? I've read through the entire Bible, and that was a goal that I set, and so they, they set out on that journey, and they start reading in Genesis, and they, they go all the way through, and they get to Numbers, and then they go, maybe next year. <laughs> but, uh, but they start reading through, and they take on snippets and stuff, and they keep they, they try to read through, because it's the goal that they have, and I've heard a number of folks over the years say, hey, this is something that I want to do at least once in my life. I, wanna, I have read from Genesis 1 all the way to the end of Revelation take that that kind of thinking and set that aside for just a moment and let's put on a a, a more of a Jewish way of thinking here for a Jewish audience the scripture would be heard in repetition so within their life of worship and the participation in the synagogue they would hear specifically the, the Torah they would hear that read in many cases over the course of a year every year So when they gather together and worship, and there's other places where it happened over three years, but over a period of time, they would hear this read over, and then it would go back to the beginning and read again, and again, and again. And it would inform their thinking. And so these verses, these thoughts, these stories, it's saturating them. They know this stuff. They've heard this over and over and over again. And not only would they hear it within the synagogue worship and those expressions, but they hear it at at festivals where large sections would be read in total. And so what they're doing there in hearing that is not just an information type session. It's not like the ultimate Sunday school where you're like, give me the content so I have the answers to the trivia questions. But what the people are doing is they're rehearsing a story. They're hearing a story from the ancients and they're applying that into their present existence, their present time. And as they look at their own situation, And maybe in some of those cases, in some of those pockets, that situation included suffering and struggle. They would hear the story of Exodus, and they would hear the struggle of their ancestors. And so they would take those and they put them together, and they would merge those with everyday life. That's a different way of hearing a text. That's a different way of reading the Bible in a year. You can see that with what we said earlier. But now imagine that as you come to the end of that cycle each time. You come into Deuteronomy chapter 27, and you read through the end of Deuteronomy, but particularly through chapter 30. And it lays the groundwork in that text, so specifically in Deuteronomy 30, for what the future will look like. So the people in that time, the first century, and even people today, as they read Deuteronomy 30, they're hearing in that what God is up to, what God is going to do next. Imagine your friend who's really into Bible prophecy and wants to tell you about the end times, all right? Now with less charts, right? So. <laughs> Think about, this is a person. Wait, one person got that. Like That was like mine. That was enough. That was enough. But as, think about that person who's, who's into that, what's God up to next, or even your own life. What does God want for me? And that question is being resolved by Deuteronomy 30. And knowing that, here's what Paul does. He says, do not say in your heart, right? That's Romans, verse 6, verse 4, verse 6. That is from Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 4. It's not the entire verse. It's just a nugget of it. And his audience wants to make uh, much about what they've done or they're doing. Those folks who are committed to the law. Paul says, do not say in your heart. He doesn't just say that as a as kind of something to say, hey, pause, time out. Uh, check yourself before you wreck yourself. He's not doing that. What he's doing is he's referencing a larger text. Because if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 9, where that's drawn, you quickly see that that passage is about God's action, about God's rescue, about God's provision to the people. And we see that very explicitly in that verse, but also in chapter eight, verse 18, and chapter nine, verse five. It's a way of saying uh, something here uh, inside an interpretive lens they'd already have. What Paul is doing is saying to them, let's use your language, let's use your words, let's use the text that you understand to show you that it's always been God's initiative, not your initiative. But then he attaches it here. He does an interesting technique here where he attaches the Deuteronomy passage to the Deuteronomy 30. So chapter nine is now attached to chapter 30 in Romans. All right, you're geeking out a little bit right now. I recognize that. One of the commentators said, before we talk about this section, pull up a cup of coffee, sit down, here we go, all right? But he does this weird tool here in Romans where he takes chapter nine of Deuteronomy, that verse, he takes a portion of that, and he then connects it to a portion of chapter 30. And we'll see why here in just a second. But he attaches those two together, and he offers a few editorial references about Christ along the way. But nobody says. He says, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. That's editorial reference one. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. These are all coming from Deuteronomy chapter 30 with the insertion of the Christ editorial. He goes on to say, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Again, that's Deuteronomy 30, and Paul's now reading that with the lens of Jesus Christ as rescue, redeemer, and the one who brings renewal. It's important at this point to know that Deuteronomy 30 follows the sections that talk about blessings and curses. If you read that part of Deuteronomy, you're going to see a whole list of blessings and curses, and you're going to see what's to be enjoyed, and what will befall the people related to their obedience and disobedience to the law. But then chapter 30 begins with this. When all these things have happened to you, the blessings and the curses. And that's the point Paul's going to hammer on right at that moment. He's going to say, you want to say that you can keep all these things. You want to say that I'm going to go after this and this is going to be my salvation. But if you read chapter 30 of Deuteronomy, you see right from the get-go that it knew Would not be able to do that That God knows that That God lays out at the beginning That you're not going to be able to be faithful to those Those things, you're not going to be obedient But God makes a provision for you That God knows that about you Knows that about your humanity But makes a provision For you to be able to enjoy Life Doesn't just leave you there The presumption that the people will fail in their effort They will not succeed As their popular Leviticus uh, passage assumed and that the nation would find itself in exile these are all things that are that are presumed here within this text that they'd be in need of rescue the life and prosperity that God holds out to them that we hear in chapter 30 verse 15 of Deuteronomy is to be found in the message that Paul remember back to Romans one16 I'm not ashamed of the gospel That that message the one he's not ashamed of that is the gospel which is the power of God into salvation. That's the message that's close to you at this point. And that's what he shares with them at this this moment. So what might they expect as markers here? This is an audience here that says, well, we had some assurances before of what it looked like to be the true people of God. What's my assurance now? If I don't have strict obedience to the law as an assurance that I'm going to be saved, what then demarcates me as one who is actually in God's people, that I'm one of God's own? It's a good question for the they here but it's also a good question for us today what assurance do i have that any of this stuff is actually coming to pass that there's a reality to this and paul says let me fill in uh, the pieces for you here romans chapter uh, 10 verses 9 and 10 if you confess with your mouth that jesus is lord and believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you'll be saved for one believes with the heart leading to righteousness and one confesses with the mouth leading us to, to salvation. that that inner work that's happening within us, the fact that you look around and say, there's people throughout the generations and even in this space who've stepped forward and said that Jesus Christ is Lord, who have believed in the resurrection of Christ, that that's not something that's, that's happening by compulsion. It's not something that's happened by chance. It's not even something that's, that's happening by any kind of accident but there's a spiritual reality. There's a supernatural reality here that God's presence is working in the hearts of people and has been working in the hearts of people for thousands of years now, to move them to a place where in their heart, they hold true the very witness and story that they've heard in Christ's resurrection. That there's something powerful about that and it's transformative, not only for communities, but for us individually. So in our hearts at the deepest place where we ask questions about, what does it mean to be me? And what does it mean for me to live a certain kind of life, to be the person that I want to be in that very deep place? Internally, we hold the story of Christ, and that witness is made by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not to miss that. But then there's a declaration that's made from our mouth. There's a confession that's made. And in the first century, the confession here that Jesus is Lord is a a dual sword, if you will. Culturally speaking, in the Roman world, where Caesar is Lord, for you to utter that someone else is Lord could be a death sentence, if not certainly causing you great trouble within society. But now imagine the they, this Jewish audience, who's held to high standard, the highest standard, the divine being called the Lord. And now you supply divinity to Jesus Christ. That this this person who's a carpenter, who's crucified, you've now applied divinity to them, and you're talking about resurrection, that that's what you're now confessing, you're now in trouble with two groups. You're at odds with community and society, your community and your society. And it could be great trouble for you. And Paul knows there's a great risk in that. He's seen that risk. He's seen the abuse with that. But there's something powerful about how that wells up within us and there's something supernatural about that. He goes on in verse 11 to offer an assurance to the hearers, noting... But the scripture says that no one who believes in him will be put to shame. That of course is the latter part of Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. And if you trace back to Romans nine 33, you'll see that the first part of that Isaiah passage, the one that talks about the cornerstone is actually included there. And this is now the latter part. So it creates kind of brackets for us here in this text. To see Romans 10 is really a commentary of God's promises in Isaiah 28. The big thing for us to hear in there is we're part of a much bigger story. A much bigger plan, something that God has promised long ago to bring to fruition, a salvation, a redemption, a renewal that's to come. And that's happening right here, and has happened in Jesus Christ. And Paul's saying, yo, this has happened. This has happened. He doesn't say yo, but (laughs) you And then in verse 12, he says God's calling together one family, one people, calling together one community, that this has been God's project all along, the work that God's doing that Jew and Gentile be incorporated as one family under one ruler, one Lord, one Messiah. In verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That, of course, is a reference to Joel chapter 2, verse 32. And again, it highlights the trajectory of God's mission of one family. Emphasis being in there, everyone who calls. He wants his hearers to hear that, that the they here is not just them now. It's expanded and blown out. That's a much larger community. And this is what God is up to. What God has been up to all along, what He's called them to be part of. And then in verses 14 and 15, but how are they to come on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim Him? And how are they to proclaim Him unless they are sent, as it's written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? That, of course, is coming from Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. Again, Paul's equating the mission, the ministry, and the work of the church here with the prophecy of Isaiah. In short order, Paul has drawn together the story of God, has drawn together in all these texts how this message of Jesus fits within that story, or better said, how it is that story. It's what God is up to, what God is doing, and what God has done. To reject that story, righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ, is not keeping of the best traditions of scripture, but rather rejecting the teaching of scripture Altogether, And that's what Paul arrives at. And that's the end of this road. But that's not us, right? That's not us this morning. We wouldn't make that same mistake. We're not a people that are, we're more savvy as moderns than that. Some of might remember the early years of in-car GPS navigation. In our house, my wife received one of those Garmin GPS devices that we used uh, before smartphones, a little thing it suctioned to the window. And we used to use that. It was an upgrade from my printed out MapQuest direction pages that I was using. <laughs> and before that, my stopping at the gas station every five minutes to ask them directions. That's why they were called service stations, I think. But during that time, uh, there were frequently headlines like this one, and this is a real headline. Tourists following GPS directions drives into ocean at harbor. Yes, following GPS instructions, they ended up driving down the boat ramp and into the ocean. Fortunately, they were able to escape the vehicle and swim to safety. But it makes you wonder how someone might make such a clear error, right? How would you end up driving into the ocean? The article goes on to say that the tourist was, quote, following the GPS directions at the time and mistook the ocean for a puddle in the road. <laughs> That's a really big puddle. Even wilder here is that this wasn't the first time this has happened at that same boat ramp. (laughs) In fact, just one month earlier, another driver uh, did the same thing, reporting that they two had been following GPS directions. A representative from the Department of Land and Natural Resources, when asked if more warning signage would be added following these incidents, reveals that the blame shouldn't fall on the GPS, saying, it's really clear that it is a ramp and it leads directly into the water. <laughs> good things, though, Good thing those are in the past, right? Good thing that's like 20 years ago. Sorry to say that article's from May. <laughs> and the drivers drove in in the months of April and May of 2023, <laughs> driving into the ocean. Perhaps better technology doesn't always equate to better living. Being a modern doesn't make us immune to the same issues that the ancients contended with, the same problems and misunderstandings that they had. When entrance and reception into the Christian community, into the people of God, is on the basis of something other than faith in Jesus Christ, say a morality test, for instance, just to draw one from the air. We've misunderstood Paul in Romans chapter 10. We've missed the statement there. When entrance or reception is limited to a certain type of person, their ethnicity and their language, their socioeconomic status, their political position, their general look, they don't look the part, they don't look the role. We've misunderstood Paul in Romans chapter 10, that God's story, God's salvation is being extended to all people, to all nations, that this message goes out proclaim good news to humanity, of whom we're part, but we're not the whole or the total. We should not make the same mistake in our own generation, in our own day. I dare say that the message that commends these kinds of limitations is not a word that brings life and hope and renewal. But how beautiful how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news as isaiah prophesied may we as a congregation each one of us as individuals inhabit those kind of feet may we bring good news in our generation this day and forever amen friends let us pray together lord we thank you for your love on this day and what a rich love that is how deep that love I love that permeates not only our activities and our actions with one another, but one that goes deep and resides within our very being. That you are transforming us on the inside and the outside. That in our hearts, that witness of faith and belief comes as a gift from you. So Lord, this morning I pray that for us as a people, as we trust you and love you, I pray Lord that you would help us to contend with the challenges of our day knowing that you are contending for us. For any who are gathered here this morning or hear these words from Paul and they're striking them as new, we pray, Lord, that this place would be a place of beginnings, that where the road ends here in Jesus Christ might begin a much longer journey for life in you. We offer ourselves to you once more, knowing that you hold us not only with tenderness, but grace and strength as well. Praise in Jesus' name.